This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Let's now hear from God's Word. Scripture reading is from the book of John, chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus has said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Hear the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Philippians 3, verse 17, to Philippians 4, verse 1. Paul wrote, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you, even with tears, their end is destruction Their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, my beloved. Hear the, Lord, hear the word of the Lord. A warm welcome to everyone online. Um, I just want to quickly introduce myself. My name is Philly Lolo here. Everyone here at church uh, calls me Philly. I attend a 10 a.m. service with my wife, Liana, and I'll 
three kids, Eve, Benjamin, and Keanu. Um, friends, it's a, it's a privilege for me to, to share what uh, the Lord has placed upon my heart in this particular uh, section of Philippians. So I'm going to ask God for, for his help by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, I, I am your instrument for your glory, Lord, and I pray, Father, that you give me the right words to speak. I pray, Lord, that hearts will be inflamed with love for you, which will in turn will change the will, which will in turn will eventually change our actions in the world. I thank you, Father, that the gospel is powerful, so powerful, Lord, that it transforms lives, not only in the eternity, but in here and now. Implant your word deep within our hearts, Father. I ask this humbly in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, friends, I've so enjoyed going through the book of Philippians. It is by far my most favorite book of the Bible. Uh, the thing that which grabs me about this book is the example of the Apostle Paul, and, that, and hence the reason why that is the very topic of what I'll be speaking on uh, this morning is that Paul is, is an example for us. Yes, He's an example for us, only because he follows the example of Christ. Christ, who, who walked this earth, was completely perfect. Now, our goal in our Christian lives is to pursue that perfection, which we'll never reach. But God, is, in his loving way, has given us the instrument of Apostle Paul, a, a man of flesh and blood, a man who, who had the same sort of struggles in which we had, but relied heavily not on himself, but on the power of God. And that's why he is the right sort of person for us to look to and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Some quick things in which I want to I just talk about the Apostle Paul, because for me, he's, he's like my hero apart from Christ. If you were to hang out with the Apostle Paul, the spiritual air in which he breathed was so different to what I breathe. He breathed from a, a much higher plane, One of the most beautiful things about the Apostle Paul is I see a, a submission to the will of God. And wherever the Apostle Paul went, he was a blessing to believers, but not only to believers, he was a blessing to the world and the parts of the different countries in which he visited. They were changed forever by the Apostle Paul. He was poor, yet he made many rich. What was it that he had? He had the gospel. He didn't have riches of this world, but he had the very gospel which set people free. They became richer for hanging out with the Apostle Paul. People were blessed by his words and by his instructions. And last, what I think ties the whole book of Philippians together is that Paul is compelled by the love of God. So how are we to follow the Apostle Paul, the great example in which he set for us. Well, I think the, my first point that I want to make is that the Apostle Paul had a particular understanding of the love of God. It was personal. He, he knew it intimately. He understood the love of God, which helped him, which empowered him to follow Christ. You see, friends, Christianity is, is a phenomenon. It's when an individual has an encounter with the living God and he is no longer the same. No way. When, when someone comes and encounters the living God, they are forever changed. 
The first thing is, when we have this encounter with God, it's a humbling experience. So humbling. The Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, was Saul, a persecutor of the church. And here he is, you read his story in Acts chapter 9. He's, he's riding on a, with his friends, and they're on the road to Damascus to pursue Christians, to persecute them. And as he's on the road to Damascus, he is confounded by bright light and has an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And then he's blinded for three days. A humbling experience for the Apostle Paul. So for three days, he's, he's blinded. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't drank anything. And there he is to sit alone in his own thoughts, reflecting upon his own life. The very church in which he's persecuting ends up being the actual Lord of the whole universe. It's a humbling experience to have an encounter with the living God. And I think this is such an important point because in the Old Testament, when Isaiah has his vision, as he's confronted and encounters the living God, what does he say? He says, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. Now, he's a pretty holy guy. But as he comes before a holy God, he's undone. Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. With so much focus on the external of how we look, God is much more interested in the inner man. He's much more interested in the heart. So back to Paul's conversion story. He's sitting there and he's, 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 he's waiting. He doesn't know what's happening. And another disciple, Ananias, gets a vision from God. And the vision is that he's to go to Apostle Paul and he's to embrace him. He's to embrace him as, as one of their own. And I love this conversation. You read it, please. Read it in Acts chapter 9. He has this conversation with God, and he, he says, God, are you sure? Like, are you sure? This is Ananias talking to the Almighty God. Are you sure he's persecuted your church? He's done such harm to your kingdom. Yes, this is my chosen instrument. And so you could imagine when Ananias is walking to this place where, where Paul is, and the Bible describes it as straight street. It's an actual street, straight street. And so he walks into this place, and the scene here is Paul's there sitting. And for me, what really just encapsulates everything about what, why I love the gospel is that Ananias comes and he lays his hands on, 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 on Saul, and he says, brother, straight away. Straight away, he embraces him. And it says that like scales falling from Paul's eyes, he opens his eyes. And he is never the same. You see, friends, this is what grace is. Grace in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, this is the gift of God. We can't earn this. There is no way in which Paul was seeking Jesus, but God himself reaches down to where we are. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. It is the gift of God, for by grace we have been saved, and it's not by works that any man may boast. It is the gift of God. Romans 5, verse 5, Paul writes, God's love has been poured into our hearts. You see, Paul's understanding of the love of God is because the Holy Spirit has been poured into his heart, friends. Charles Spurgeon says, When the Holy Spirit comes into the heart and takes supreme control of the affections, then the whole life and conversation are after a godly sort. You see, it redirects the whole human experience. He's compelled by love. He says that in 2 Corinthians 5.14, everything in which he does is compelled by the love of God. He's enabled by the Spirit of God. And this overflows, this spills out into real life. We see it in the way and how he, he lived in the realities of, of this thing we call life. You see, what we see here with the Apostle Paul is not self-mastery. No, no, it's submission. It's submission to the will of God. It is when somebody comes and says, Lord, take me as I am. I am unable, I am not powerful enough, Lord, to make the sort of changes, Father, that would see me fit to be used by you. It is submitting our will to the will of the Lord. And that's what we see here with Paul. And he understands this love of God. He's able to submit himself to his will. So understanding the love of God is... One of the things in which I, I see in Apostle Paul, which makes him such a great example, and for us, is, is our understanding of this great love that God has poured into our hearts. Now, like the, the great pastor that the Apostle Paul is, he's a great leader. He says, now with this salvation, you've got to watch out. There's a, there's a warning here. There's a warning. Let me read it for you in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul's warning, he's warning people, he's warning us. The two things in which Paul warns against and. I've only ever seen Paul really angry at, one, at, at a particular thing called legalism. Paul hates legalism. Legalism is basically anything in which you add on to the gospel. You see, he, he called the Judaizers dogs because what they were doing was that they were burdening people with extra rules and regulations on top of the free gift. Remember, friends, it's a free gift. But Paul is saying, look out for these people who are going to throw burdens on you and make you weighed down in bondage. He says, look out for these false teachers who will talk to you of any other gospel other than the one of free grace. And then the other thing in which Paul warns believers is, let me read it for you, he, he, he warns them, 
about setting their, their minds on earthly things and the God of their belly and being proud of their, their shame. It all comes back to this as well, friends. When we are walking with God, because the passage here is talking about people who are walking this way. It's talking about a life. When we are walking this way in terms of having our minds set on just here and now, when we will do anything, whatever our appetites want to do, what, what Paul's saying in, in other passages is we grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not made for that. The warning is that the end of a life like that is destruction. I just want to pause for a moment here. And I just want to kind of like just talk honestly that I live in this world and I feel all those different tensions. I swim in that environment as well. We don't live in a vacuum. I swim in the environment of materialism. I swim in the environment of elitism. I swim in the environment of individualism. I swim. I'm part of a culture that idolizes self. But as I'm as a Christian, as, as I'm as I'm swimming in that culture, friends, all, all I see is emptiness. And they themselves feel the emptiness as well, but they haven't yet connected the dots that none of those things can actually fill your heart. You see, because who knows our hearts the best? God. God knows our hearts. I want to illustrate this point because our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God, famously said by Augustine. I'm going to invite Michael to come up. Michael, can you come up, please? Okay. Please bear with me with this illustration, okay? Okay, so I was talking about the human heart and what we try and fill that human heart with. And so I have here the human heart. Okay. And what we do in this life is we try and fill this human heart with lots of different good things. Okay? I'm going to say good things because they are good things. Okay, So what do you reckon, Michael? What do we try and fill our hearts with? Oh, uh, success. Success. Okay, that's pretty, a few drops there. Okay, I would say what else do we try and fill our hearts with? Um, money. Yeah, a bit of money. Yeah. Okay. What else? Um, status. Status. Yeah. That's pretty good. Oh, okay. And one more. Just good times. Oh, living for this world. Yes, living for the now. I do not want to miss out. Okay, that deserves. I'll give it another one as well because I want to make sure I fulfill my bucket list. Here we go. Now, friends, I hope you're looking on the camera. Can you see that? The human heart still has the capacity for more. And I, I just think that's so, so true of people who are chasing so much as they feel it inside themselves that I want more and more and more, but yet doesn't even, doesn't even come up a little because our hearts are created for much more. And let me show you, friends, 
what we're created for and who we're created for and what can only fill our hearts, God. Now you see, friends, keep going, Michael. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Okay, friends, that's it. You can see, friends, that a heart overflows with the love of God. It cannot even contain the love of God. Our hearts are created for him. Thank you, Michael. Our hearts are created for him. Only in him does he fill the capacity of our heart. And so now that we know the love of God and also we've heeded to the warnings, there is this part in the Christian life in which we have our church life and then we have our 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 secular life or, or, or maybe the our work life. And what I what I what I really feel myself is sometimes these two worlds can be just apart. But I honestly believe with all my heart that what God does is he moves these two worlds together. He moves them like two concentric circles moving in together and then they merge. And then there's no more separation between what you do at work and the kingdom of God. You see, that whatever we're doing, Paul says, whatever we're doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whatever we're doing, whether I'm a personal trainer or whether you're a nurse or whether you're a doctor or whether you're an accountant, we do all for the glory of God. These are the particular posts in which God has placed us to be light and salt We are the ones who are going to tell people, friends, I know the one who will fill the capacity of your heart. I know the one who will give you forgiveness. You see, when our two worlds merge together, that's exactly where God wants us to be. You see, it's not just the preachers or those who are in ministry who are called to do God's work. No, anyone, anybody, that is called by God, who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, is now a disciple and also a follower, but also one that speaks to our world. My last point is the Apostle Paul had such a a grand vision of the eternal life a heavenly vision. And I really believe that that gave him wings to fly in the realities of the hardships in which he faced. It really set his eyes further than than what he could see here and now. And he's a great example of what it is to be so heavenly minded, yet he wasn't so heavenly minded that he was of no earthly use. No, like I said with those two concentric circles, the two were together. So my idea of, 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 of looking to Paul as an example is that it changes our perspective, having our minds set on the eternal. For the Apostle Paul, heaven was real. It wasn't no psychological trickery or a crutch 
to get you through the hard times. No, it was real. So real. Verses 20 to 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The heavenly vision, friends, transforms our perspective. It's not pie in the sky. It's real. And let me show you through Apostle Paul's life how it works out in the real world. There isn't, an, an, there isn't anyone I know that has suffered as much as the Apostle Paul, shipwrecked, persecuted, gone hungry, whipped, sometimes homeless, didn't know where his next meal was going to come from. Yet, even with all of the sufferings in which he went through, he explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18, this is what he says. He says, this light, momentary affliction, light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We look not to things that are seen, but to things unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but things unseen are eternal. You see, what's happening here is Paul's making a comparison. He's, saying, he's seeing what's happening here on earth, but then he's weighing it up with what's here in the future. And what's here in the future far outweighs what's going on here, that he can look at his situation and go, this is light, it's momentary, which means it's not going to last forever, but it's actually shaping me and preparing me for this reality. It's also reminding me that I'm not there yet as well. Heaven is real, friends, and it shapes how we think about our lives, about our positions that we're in. The other thing in having this heavenly vision and how it transforms our perspective is it gives us generous hearts. Look at the Apostle Paul. He says he pours his life out for you. Sounds like Christ to me. He pours his life out for you. So refreshing in a stingy world to have someone pour their life out for people like me, like you. And for those people in that particular time in which, when Apostle Paul, he poured himself out for them. He loved God's people and he loved the lost. He loved the world. He wanted to tell them about this message and he would willingly pour his life out. And this, this is what a heavenly mindset does is it, it loosens our grip on the things of this world. We're not so hanging on and thinking, oh, I'm going to miss out. No. No, because what's, what he's going to inherit in eternity is far greater than anything in which this short time we have in this world. It releases Paul. It releases us to be generous with everything in which we have. This heavenly vision 
releases us. It releases us from the grip on things here and now. It helps us to be generous and open-hearted. This is Paul's heavenly vision. C.S. Lewis writes, Our home I must keep alive in myself. The desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death, I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and help others to do the same. Friends, as I bring this talk to a conclusion, the Apostle Paul is a great example for us to follow because he followed Christ. It's a beautiful life. It's a life well spent. Paul, when he's writing the book of Philippians, he's probably about 60 years old, but I don't read in his letters an ounce of giving up or slowing down. Instead, he says to press forward, to press in even more. He'll do everything he can to reach the resurrection. He's consumed by the love of God. He sees that his citizenship is in heaven. And he has enough love in him to guide people, to warn people. Come this way, not that way. Look to Jesus, is his message. The captain of our salvation. The time is now, friends, to exercise our faith. The time is now to pray to the Lord. The time is now to press into him. Because when we draw our last breath and we come into his presence, it'll all be done. It'll all be finished. There'll be no more need to fight the good fight. For we will be home with our Lord. Friends, I leave those words with you. And my prayer is that we would look to Christ always and consider him in everything in which we do. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.